Okay. Welcome to the Parenting with Confidence podcast. I am your host, Teresa Alexander Inman, board certified behavior analyst, parent coach, and infant toddler developmental specialist. I'm super excited today to have with us Dr. Kristen Eccleston. Yay. Hi. Thank you for having me. It's my absolute pleasure, Doc. <laughs> I, I'm just so excited like to be able to talk to you because this is such kind of tabooish and yet still so important. And but before we go any farther, I just want to tell people a little bit about you. And then we'll just dive into the questions that, you know, come up. <laughs> okay. Sounds great. Awesome. So as a mother and an individual who has navigated her own mental health journey, Dr. Kristen has faced challenges of being an undiagnosed female with ADHD. These experiences have inspired her to become an advocate and an expert in the field of mental health with educa within educational settings. Through her platform, she strives to emphasize the significance of creating inclusive education environments that cater to the diverse mental health needs of our youth and educators. And I honestly just want to cry right now because it's so important. I work in the school district as well, and I see it. And you're going to make me cry. Thank you and God bless you for, for the work that you do, because it's so important, you know, it, like I said, if, if we could just remove the taboo, I think more people would get help. Do you agree with that? I 100% agree with that. And that's partially why I put myself out there and I talk about, you know, having had ADHD myself and going through school undiagnosed. And then I'll, I'll talk about what I went through with my mental health, because I feel like part of removing taboo is talking about it. Because I think one of the biggest things that people who are impacted, both parents and students is the fact that they feel alone. Like that's the biggest thing that I see um, time and time again, when I work with students, when I work with parents is this feeling of feeling alone. Like you're the only one that this is happening to. And it's because we don't talk about it. It is so true. And, you know, just a couple of days ago, I was on Facebook because I like to go into groups and just share and, you know, give any kind of feedback that I can, any help that I can. And this mom was like, this is my situation and I feel so alone. I was like, listen, the fact that you've talked about it and shared it, thank you for doing that. And please keep talking. Don't, you know, don't keep it to yourself because that just perpetuates everything. Yes, yes, it does. And my, you know, my heart breaks for parents. I, even today, I, I was in a meeting with a parent and, and especially when it comes to mental health, there's so much going on and it's not just a, you know, it's not just high school students. It's not just like elementary all the way through high school students are being impacted in the educational setting. Um, one of the biggest things that I see too are really bright students too, like really, really bright A, B students, smart students, but are struggling with their mental health. And then it becomes this gray area where schools go, oh, well, but they're doing fine. You know, they're doing fine academically. And so there's no support to give them. And to me, that, that's not true. Um, I understand there's this these thoughts behind, you know, teachers aren't social workers and teachers can't be all these different things. But when a child spends the majority of their day in a, a specific environment or setting, we have to care about them holistically for as a whole child and what their needs are. And we can't say, well, well, they're doing okay academically, but then not so then not care that they're not doing well socially and emotionally. 
Right, because academically is not the only way we measure the worth of a human being or the quality of life of a person. So if things are not going on, you know, if if there's incoherence in our brain, then there's going to, you know, maybe they can keep it together academically. But then what about the other areas of their lives? Like, do you see that? Oh, I see it all the time. I'll see it where there's a child who is, let's just say in this particular example, academically gifted. Mm -hmm. And so they're doing well. You know, they come to school every day. Sometimes school avoidance can be a whole different issue. But in this circumstance, they're coming to school every day and they're doing well. But, you know, but the parent then reports that they don't want to go to school. It's a crying jag every morning when it's time to get up and they beg not to have to go. And they say they don't have any friends and that they don't feel connected to anyone. And then when you go to the school and the school goes well, but they're doing great academically. So there's no issue here, but, but there is an issue here. And the problem is, is the way our educational system is structured that in order to get any type of support other than um, what is offered to you within a general education setting, then it becomes a 504 or it becomes an IEP process. And that's not to say that maybe this child needs a 504 or needs an IEP, but they need something beyond just kind of what the general setting is. And then that's where this gray area comes into play. And this is where I see parents feeling lost and alone or hurt and school systems saying things look great when, when they don't because we're only measuring this academic or educational impact and not recognizing the handwriting on the wall um, one of the biggest frustrations at schools, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. So you start to see patterns and what things are going to look like. And, and you'll say to the school, like, if we don't do something now, then in two or three years, especially when this kid gets to middle school and puberty hits, we're going to see a significantly drastic change in their social emotional health. And that's then going, you're going to start to see those D's and those E's that might not exist right now. And then there's going to be need higher levels of care or interventions that are needed. And all the research shows right now that the earlier you can provide an intervention to a child, especially if it's a social emotional need, the higher likelihood that you're gonna have a positive outcome. But we tend to be more reactive than proactive in educational settings. And that is one of the most heartbreaking things is when you can see the handwriting on the wall, but you can't talk about what could or couldn't happen in the future. Yes, because we can't do anything about it. So we're just not going to say anything about it. And it is frustrating. I see it every day and I'm just like, you know, anyway, but that's neither here nor there right now. So what can we do at an early age and tell us the earliest age and what we can do to help children socially, emotionally to develop, you know, um, in a way that serves them socially, social and emotionally. I would start very young. As soon as you're able to, you know, probably even before verbal, but I would say it's always communicating with your child, always being open with your child, always sharing struggles that you had with your child. Obviously pick age appropriate language. You might not talk about, you know, this bad boyfriend that you had in high school, you know, to your kindergarten or anything. So age appropriate stories for your child, but be open with your child, show vulnerabilities, the things that you struggled with, talk about feelings, especially with your really young ones and in elementary school, talk about your feelings, talk about what it means to have high highs, low lows. Um, Cause I think that's a concept that kids oftentimes, and I see this with my own children too, you know, they have a bad day and they think it's the end of the world or like, why is the world against me? And I've had to have conversations with them. And I've even used like stories where I grab their arms and I do things like 
sometimes we have to have these really high highs, like we're on a roller coaster. And then, but then we have these really low lows and I'm taking their arms through this whole thing, but I'm, I'm more or less letting them know that life is a roller coaster ride. And in order to enjoy the really high highs, you're going to sometimes have to experience those really low lows. And although they might not be fun when they're happening, those are the things that will ultimately allow you to appreciate the joy. And the rest of the time in life, you're going to hope that you're just on that steady track. But having kind of conversations like that with your child at a young age, and my children are elementary school age children, Mm -hmm. I think it's important for them to understand that life is not you know, out to get you, the world doesn't hate you, but we all are going to go through these things in life because I think there's been this really big shift in parenting. Uh, I was speaking with this about with a colleague of mine recently that we all know that social emotional needs are very high and very prevalent right now and probably more so than they have ever been. And I think a lot of us have turned to parenting from fear. And and this is not coming at a point, point fingers at anybody type of place. I truly think that this parenting from fear comes from a place of love. Mm -hmm. I mean, when our children hurt, we hurt and we want to stop the hurt for ourselves. We want to stop the hurt for our children because we love our children. But when we hear about all this suicidal ideation that goes on and all this self-harm things that go on, our and we hear our children maybe start talking about that, I think we start to parent from a place of fear. And then we, we try to avoid these uncomfortable feelings for our children and, and we try to stop them. Mm-hmm. And then what ultimately happens is we have children who don't have any resiliency or any ability to persevere because we've always interrupted these uncomfortable feelings for them. They've never had to sit with them before. They haven't gained any kind of resiliency from that. And then they sometimes, not always, but then sometimes we also let it to the children become in charge essentially. And then they start to use those emotional things as a tactic to call the shots. Like I'll do all my stuff if you give me all my screen time or all and we're parenting out of fear because then they start to use this, well, I'm going to hurt myself or I don't feel good or I'm going to do these things. And you have to know as a parent, your child well and know where that structure is and where to draw the line. Because to me, that's one of the biggest things I am seeing over and over and over again with a lot of students who are emotionally dysregulated is this concept of parenting with fear that is happening. Wow. And that is, that's avoidable, right? Mm-hmm. If we are conscious of it. And I get the fear, you know, I met him, you know, it's, it's, you know, cause it's understandable. And so how can we overcome this fear? I think that's a great question. And, and it's not an easy one. And like I said, this is not coming from, um, I'm pointing a finger at anyone because I think any parent could easily fall into something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the love that you have for your child. And, but I think what, what, ultimately happens is it snowballs, right? You have a concern. So you tiptoe around your child. And then before you know it, you have a high schooler that you can't control because now they're in control and then they're dysregulated and they don't have the ability to persevere or sit with any kind of rough feelings. So the first thing you have to recognize is, is this truly a mental health thing that my child is facing? Is this truly like a, a bipolar or a high anxiety Or is this something that my child is dealing with that I need to set some boundaries and more structure? Okay, you're anxious. Why are we anxious? Let's get to the root cause of it. Is it because there's too many activities in your life? Is there too many? Trying to get to the root cause, I think, as soon as your child starts to to display any of these behaviors is going to be important so that you don't then try to compensate from this parenting with fear and give over to allowing your child to call the shots or taking away those uncomfortable feelings. 
you also as a parent have to know kind of where that fine line is of letting your child sit with disappointment and, and, you know, sometimes having to deal with the yucky feelings and sometimes, you know, just having conversation with them, letting them know your feelings are valid. I understand why you feel this way. I understand why you're mad or why you're upset, but that still isn't an okay thing that you did. And there's still going to be a consequence or the, so it's this difference between your, you can still validate feelings for a child, but still help them with understanding where the boundaries and consequences are versus just being like they're upset. So that is what's trumping everything else. They don't have to deal with consequences just because they're upset because as adults, even if we're upset or we don't like something, there can still be consequences associated with it. And then that's why young people struggle as young adults. Wow. You have said so much. And it's like, (laughs) no, it's amazing. Like this is rich, beautiful, amazing information that people need to hear. You know, they absolutely need to hear it. So thank you for sharing all of that. You know, because I met a mom today and actually today was the second time I saw, I saw her at a school and, um, he has a five-year-old who has been diagnosed with Down syndrome. That's that has nothing to do with anything, but I'm just, you know, contact. But anyway, she, um, so this was her, this is their only child. And she had her a little later in life. And so she never says no. Mm. Well, until she met me last week. <laughs> 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 Where I said, the world does not always say yes. So we have to, you can't give her everything she wants. You can't allow her to do everything she wants because then it's going to be a nightmare later. Awakening. Yeah. Yes. It'll be a rude awakening for her. And, yes. and, and, and given the fact she's down, she's already going to have challenges in her life as it is. So, and, and I have worked with children, many children with Down syndrome in the past too. And, and every child doesn't matter what their disability is. If they have one, they don't have one. They need structure. They need to understand yes and no. And that I'm not always going to get my way because it does turn into bigger problems later that are much harder to undo when they become teenagers and young adults. So then you agree that this is part like not allowing them to do everything they want to do when they want to do it. Does that help with that grit that you talked about and the social emotional learning? Absolutely. It does because it's showing structure and it's showing boundaries. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't get to do everything I want to do when I want to do it because, you know, you have to have one control and structure and, you know, is this the right time or not the right time? So, I mean, ultimately I feel like our job as parents is to work ourselves out of a job, right? That's, and my dad used to say that to me, my, my role as your parent is to eventually work myself out of having a job because you're eventually get to adulthood and you know what it is that you need to do to succeed. But if we don't give kids those skills, I think that's why we see some of the struggles that they have as young adults. Um, it, it doesn't have to be as drastic as a suicidal ideation, but maybe just not being able to cope or get a job or, you know, move on or stand on their own two feet is because they've always had somebody holding her hand. And that doesn't mean being an absentee parent, but it allows children to, you know, sit with uncomfortable feelings, but still validating and loving them while that's happening. Um, that's definitely something that can occur together. It's like two, it seems like two contradicting things, but they really can occur at the same time. Yes, I totally agree. And um, so, but I'm going to give the caveat here. When you all of a sudden start to say no, or, and again, no does not always have to be no, we'll do it later. We'll do it. This we will do it then. Um, Behaviors get worse before they get better, but you have to go through it. (laughs) 
a hundred thank you thank you thank you for saying that because if you didn't that was going to be my next point oh, is i often will have parents who come and i'll have this conversation and i but i always give a warning that it will be worse before it gets better and the example i typically give and and this doesn't matter i'm going to use a toddler as an example but honestly it's the same thing even with a you know a 16 year old if your toddler your 16 year old has always gotten away doing something and then you eventually go, all right, I'm putting my foot down and I'm going to stop. Like, we're not doing this anymore. You are going to see the behavior increase for a couple of reasons. One, because they are going to now test what the new boundaries are. And two, they're going to see if you're going to cave in because obviously you have just interrupted something that they have been getting away with and quite frankly, enjoying it. And so your life is going to be tested to see if you will actually follow through on it. It's kind of this old adage of, I'm just going to scream louder and longer than to see if I can ultimately get to what I used to be able to get to when I used to just scream for this period of time. And if you as a parent keep strong, it will eventually diminish. But if you do the stop start method, every time you start again, it becomes that much harder because then the child psychologically knows I just have to scream loud enough, long enough, and they'll eventually cave in. And I'll just keep that up every time they try to start their foot or put their foot down. So if you as a parent are dealing with that and you ultimately make the decision that something has to change, you have to stick through it. Like have to, have to stick through it. Or just like you said, it's just going to get harder every single time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because if I could scream that from the rooftops. <laughs> You know, because like, it's yes. not working. It's getting harder. It's that's how it works. <laughs> it always gets harder before it gets better. And I mean, that that should be like a slogan or a motto written somewhere. It will always get harder because you essentially have to un you're undoing a habit. Yeah. I mean, think about it from an adult perspective, too. Like, you know, if, if you decided you wanted to start exercising or eating right or something, there's always kind of this like, oh, I don't want to because it's not part of your routine and it's not the greatest in the beginning. You might even feel yucky. But then once you get going and you feel better and things get, then it seems to just kind of flow easier. And it's the same kind of concept with the child too. It's not going to be easy because you are disrupting a behavioral pattern in the beginning. But once you stay consistent and the child knows I can do that, any amount of screaming and, you know, tantruming like behavior I'm going to do. And my parent is not going to budge on this. Then eventually it will diminish. Right. I mean, you can only knock so long and if nobody opens the door, then you eventually give up, right? Yes, exactly. I'm so glad that you brought that up. <laughs> and I'm glad you had an amazing answer. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, and, and this is something I see all the time mm -hmm. in parents, all the time in parents. And, and you're right. And you get, I have had parents too, who, you know, will say, you know, my child does too much screen time. And, you know, I, you know, it's 10 o'clock and I expect for them to put the computer away, but they don't put the computer away and then they don't, they're tired. And I go, so take the computer. I can't take the computer. That's, they're going to, it's, they're going to be like, do you know what that's going to cause? And I'm like, who cares what it causes? You're the parent. Right. That's all right. If they get mad and they get upset and they throw a tantrum, then I guess you're going to be holding onto that computer for even longer. But, and that's where I say that, that fear of parenting that occurs. And it can either be fear of like a social emotional fear or fear that, they're going to trigger their child to be angry at them. Mm. And that's okay if your child's angry at you. Yes. Like, and that's another thing to be okay with. Like, you can be angry at me. That's okay. Because you're trying to work yourself out of a job. And that's okay if your child is angry at you. 
Yes, it certainly is because they will be angry at, they'll experience anger. So why not practice that at home where they can learn to deal with it safely mm -hmm. and learn how to, and you know, ultimately too, I have seen kids ultimately become angry at their parents. Otherwise too, I've seen the parents who do the fear, fear-based parenting who, who don't say no. And then they end up with dysregulated teenagers who resent them. They, the teenager doesn't know why they resent them. The parent doesn't understand why the teenager resents them because, you know, in the parents mind, I've always given you, yes, I've, I've kept you from having these bad experiences, but because they, now this child can't cope with the world, that's where I think the core of that resentment comes from. So either way, you're going to end up with a child who's mad at you. So let's at least do it in a healthier way. Yes. Yes. And you know, that same five-year-old that I was telling you about, when her mom started saying no, because she's like, but mommy, you're my best friend. She says, no, I am not your best friend. I am your mother. Well, daddy's going to be my best friend. And she said, and that's okay. You know, because here she's trying to, you know, appeal to her mom in that way where, you know, but best friends don't say no to each other. <laughs> and But it's a manipulation tactic. And then if that had worked, if the mom had gone, well, I want you to, but I want you to be my best, then that had won the, the the child had won and accomplished exactly what they were trying to do. So yeah, you have to have this level. I like to call it Q-tip, quit taking it personal, right? It's not, it's not a personal thing at you. Children are very, very savvy. I don't think that we give them enough credit. They are, they are master observers and then master at applying what works for them. So it's up to you as the adult to hold the boundary and the structure. Absolutely. And if you did not have boundaries growing up, you know what that feels like. So put those boundaries in place because um, I worked with a family and the mom made a statement one day that she didn't respect her mom. And, but she didn't want her daughter to grow up not respecting her. And I said, well, why didn't you respect your mom? She said, she never said no. She gave me everything I wanted. She never said no. She let me stay out as long as I wanted and did all this. But then dad had boundaries. And she and her dad are so close because of those boundaries, because she felt safe. Yes. Her dad. And she called me in to help because she's like, I don't want to be like my mom. I want to know how to put boundaries for my daughter. And it's just amazing. Like, I'm, I'm so happy that she had, she had the awareness mm -hmm. realized that, you know, we become our parents yes. and she made a concerted effort not to do that. And, and I'm glad you made an important comment too. And I'm glad you said that because children do like boundaries and they do like structure. You would think that they don't because you think when we give them free reign, you know, life seems like a party, but it's that safety piece. What you just said about how the father made that child feel by having those boundaries, boundaries and structure make children feel safe. And they're not, you know, cognitively advanced enough to understand that that's the feeling or not the feeling that they're having until they sometimes get to adulthood and, and those light bulbs go off. But that's exactly what structure and boundaries do for children. It lets them know that this is the limit and that helps with that feeling safe. And that's why when I'm, I'm talking with parents who are iffy about those boundaries, that's the biggest factor to consider there is how your child then feels secure by having those things in their life. Wow. There's a Facebook post in there. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many Facebook posts in mm -hmm. there. 
I said, because I just started to really post on a regular basis. And there's just so much information to impart. And I actually will be putting this on Facebook. So just so you know. <laughs> well, hello, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but oh my goodness. Now I want to be mindful of your time and we can always talk again. Oh, I'd love that. This has been a great conversation. Yes, I've really enjoyed it. Now, if there's one thing you want people to leave this moment with, doctor, what would that be? I would say I understand the parenting is tough. I have two children and there was no handbook that came with them when I left the hospital. And I'm fortunate to some degree that some of my parenting has come from what I do training wise. You know, I, I'm a certified special education teacher. I have a doctorate in mind, brain and teaching. So I have a little bit of if there is a handbook, I guess some of it got to come from that. So I'm fortunate in that. But parenting is hard. Not every, you know, even in your own children are not the same individual. So you can parent one child one way and the other child needs something completely different. So just know that if you are doing your best and you are coming from a place of love, that's really what your child needs is a place of love, but you can both validate feelings and hold those structure and provide all the love in the world. So stay strong. You're not alone out there in this crazy jungle of parenthood. We're all just trying to do the best that we can. Yes, yes. And I, you know, I'm going to underline all of that because this is not, this is to educate you and to support you. Yes. So, yeah. And that's why I always say there is no finger pointing in any way. I think any of us could easily fall into to doing some of the things that we talked about today because it comes from a place of love. And I truly, that is the one thing I understand but it always starts from a place of love. And sometimes, unfortunately, it just snowballs from there. But the best thing you can do is recognize it and change course, not only for the betterment of your child, but I think for the betterment of yourself too, as a parent. Yes, absolutely. And Ms. Kristen, how can people get a hold of you? Absolutely. The easiest way to find me is to go to my website, www.theneurodiverseteacher.com. From there, you can find all my social media links. You can see the work that I do with parents um, on a regular basis. I am typically an education consultant working with families of students who have mental health and neurodiversity needs in the education setting and ensuring that they're getting the supports and services they need to be successful. Oh, gosh. And that is a whole other subject that we can talk about <laughs> because parents don't know their rights. You know, they don't understand in a lot of cases all that jargon. Yes, it's it's like a different language. I, I, I even sometimes forget myself as somebody who's been immersed in that field for close to 20 years that I'm talking to parents and that sometimes I it probably sounds like I'm speaking Greek. Yeah. Yeah. So please, guys, go to her website. You know, there's a lot of great information there and it's all designed to help and support you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And Kristen, thank you so much for being here. It's been fun. Oh my gosh. And um, I hope we can do it again. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate you. You are most welcome. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Parenting with Confidence on Spotify and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Parent with confidence.